The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. Welcome to another episode of Create Your Shot. I am Tyler Laurie, and I am joined as always by my co-host in the city of brotherly love, Chris Smalls Angelos. Smalls is Monday night. Uh, Carson Wentz, still not the guy in Philly. So you didn't sleep last night because you watched the All-22. You broke it down. But before before we get to our guest, how are you on this fine Monday evening? I'm good. I'm good, man. I'm ready to go. Um, you know, big week ahead of us here. I create your shot. We got some good interviews uh, in line and I think some really good topics that we cover. So you just don't even want to talk about the Eagles at all. Like, you're just not going to take You want me to talk about the Eagles? I don't think you want me to talk about the I think we, we suffered a lot of injuries, some devastating ones. Tim Jernigan out for the year. Injuries happen in football, but football guys are tough, and I think we'll be okay. Deshaun's got to get back. Alshon's going to miss a couple games. Can Carson Wentz, you know, carry this team? Can we beat the Lions? I mean, that's a big question for me right now. You better beat them at home. Better get some wins early. And uh, I think they'll end up being fine. Just fine. I think so, too. I, uh, last night was a, was a funny – you know, I got to watch games when I'm squatting on takes about, like, Carson Wentz and other quarterbacks. I got to, like, constantly watch the game so I don't, I don't miss out any, on any chances. I did have a, uh, a small rooting interest last night on Bovada Sportsbook, and uh, the Falcons plus one did cash. So – we felt pretty good. I don't typically text Smalls about my bets when they are going against the Eagles because he gets really angry during games and uh, a little trouble in CYS paradise when Smalls is watching the Eagles and things aren't going well. I want to. I want to talk about it. Well, a- I mean, you you jab, you do it, you do it on purpose, and you try to do the condescending smart guy shit, and <laughs> that's just how it goes. Like that's what you get, and you do it in a group chat full of Eagles fans, so. But that's because that's because and this is again, this is no I don't want to make this a conversation about Philadelphia sports fans and uh, how they think they know everything or how everything's like the biggest deal in the entire world. But it's like, first of all, and this is this is just just neither here nor there. But like Matt Ryan was was pretty hot garbage last night. Like to begin, like if Matt Ryan even played like an average game of football, the Eagles lose by 30. And that has nothing to do with like the Eagles. Right. Like that Matt Ryan played terrible. Like that's just the bottom line. Like. But, like, Wentz, like, he's just so interesting because for, like, three quarters smalls, like, he just stunk it up. Like, he was just literally terrible. And he might have been injured, right? Like, he could have broken a rib. He could have had a concussion. I don't know. Jason Kelsey walked to the other sideline and somehow cleared concussion protocol. So, like, NFL player safety, they don't really care, right? But it's just like – but then Wentz has, like, two amazing plays, right? Like, he has this unbelievable play where he's about to get sacked and he somehow throws it to Matt Collins. And you look at it and you're like, oh, man, like, this is the franchise. Like, this guy's amazing. He has the great throw to Nelson Aguilar and Aguilar doesn't catch it and that sucks. But, like, irregardless of, like, those two plays, like, his whole performance last night was, like, not good. But Eagles fans are just like, no way, Carson Wentz, Aguilar sucks. Like, he's the reason we lost the game. And it's like, this is what I think about as a it coach. Is. You got to catch that ball. That's a hundred, you're an NFL pro receiver. You cannot drop that ball. But Smalls, but he also had the huge third down catch where Wentz had like a pretty tough throw he on dropped it. Dropped a touchdown pass too. So let's talk about that. And that was a great throw. But then the fourth and 14 throw that Wentz is getting all this credit for that was like legitimately a duck. Like Aguilar came back and got it. And Wentz, awesome awareness to get it out of the pocket and get it up in the air. But, like, Aguilar had to come back and, like, adjust on that ball to keep the drive alive, too. So, uh, look. It's the first touchdown, and it's not an issue, Aguilar. Catch the first touchdown and the second touchdown. Two touchdown catches you missed. You can't, can't miss. 
two passes. You can't have two drops in a game. You're a pro receiver. I, I don't. I don't necessarily disagree with that either. I mean, honestly, the the touchdown drop that the touchdown catch that Aguilar dropped, like the one in the fourth quarter, I caught it. Honestly, might have been the best throw of Wentz's career. Like it was such a good throw that if 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 Wentz if Aguilar just had held his arms out and run forward, the ball would have literally stuck in. If they put Stickum like in the replacements on like Clifford Franklin's hands, the ball would have been there. But Football's funny. Did you happen to watch the Pitt-Penn State game this weekend, Smalls? Uh, I did not get a chance to catch it. I heard it was a dud. Did you hear about Pat Narduzzi kicking a field goal on fourth and one? I, I read about it, fourth and one, and then I read his comments on kicking a field goal on fourth Wait, and one. When, when do you think it's okay for an athletic director? We're, you know, we worked in college athletics. Right? likes, right? When, when can you just fire your, your football coach for, like, just being an idiot? Like, when do you hear – your, your coach give a press conference where he condescendingly talks down to all the media about how stupid they are and just be like, there's just no way that this guy's right. I know I hired the wrong guy. Like, do you have to coach with Pat Narduzzi? Like, is that part of this? She's been so openly supportive of Pat Narduzzi since he's been there, which is so weird that that I don't understand social media. Heather likes two years ago. I remember reading stuff or whenever she got hired, how, you know, Pat Narduzzi is this great guy. You, you got to You're, the, on the road, right? On the road, fourth and one, one yard to get a touchdown against Penn State. You got to score that touchdown. Yeah, but that—that's the same thing as the Cliff Kingsbury theory. Arizona, you know what it was? It two yard line, three yard line, and four yard line kicked all field goals. You got to go for touchdowns there. You got to win the game. And, and it's like it's like Will Muschamp against Alabama. Like you're probably not going to beat Alabama, but like he knew to go for it on like fourth down at like the 35 yard line on his own 35. An inferior team. You've got to know that you're inferior. So exactly. to put pressure on. Like if you're Alabama, right? I totally get that. Alabama, they're like, kick it. We're going to be fine. We're going to stop them. We're going to score down here. Do all that stuff. But you're an inferior team. Go win the game. You just have to know that. That's why, like, people were killing Doug Marone against uh, the Texans. They went for it, like, I think they were down 13-12. There's, like, 30 seconds left-ish. I think you can kill him for the play call, right? And I don't like Doug Marone. I don't think he's, like, a particularly good coach. But we talk a lot about, like, coaches willing to get better, right? And Doug Marone, instead of just going up and being like, yeah, you know what? Like, I know better than you guys. You know what Doug Marone said, Smalls? He said if they scored, we had a play we wanted to run. We were happy with it. We didn't execute the play. And he was fine with the result being what it was. Like he made, they, they went for it. He was cool with what he did. And they just, it just doesn't work sometimes. And I think that's better than Pat Narduzzi or Cliff Kingsbury giving a press conference about how they know better when it's like, dude, you weren't trying to win the game. Like, I don't care what you say. And if you think you were trying to win the game, then like you're totally missing the point of like how to actually coach. And Pat Narduzzi actually had like an audacity to be like, yeah, we look at analytics, but they're not the be all end all. Like, he said he wanted to play defense, Smalls. Like, he was happy about his team and how their defense was playing, and he wanted to play defense. Yeah, when, when does analytics ever serve a point if not there? Like, that is the one place. you're Because you've got to remember the result if you don't get it. You have a team backed up on their one. On the one. Especially in college, if you're talking about college football, too, you got a real chance to get a safety or a real chance to not have them get a first down. And you've got great field position coming back. There's that's the point where you have to, you have to be a little smarter. That part to me was so fascinating that like he actually said, we wanted to play defense. Well, like, here's the thing. If you have faith in your defense, go get the yard. And if you don't get it, then your defense has, they get to go 99 yards and you yeah, that's fun. play defense. <laughs> oh my God. 
I just think it's funny. We're a coaching podcast and, and college football is frequently a sport. You know, we, we do talk about Bovada a lot on here and college football is obviously a sport that we've talked about a lot in the last two years. But when the coaching decisions are just like so wildly erratic, and I think it happens in the NFL too, like Cliff Kingsbury, the exact same thing you're talking about, Smalls. It's just, it's very interesting to like analytically look at things and decide like our coach is trying to get better. And that's why I was surprised because I think Doug Marone's like not a very good coach, but it was kind of interesting to watch Doug Marone go for it on Sunday to try to win the game. And, and there was some kind of thought process of like, hey, if you go for it and you get the two, then it incentivizes Houston to play aggressively rather than just playing for overtime. And that is interesting to think about too. But I do think with the amount of information out there, Smalls, like coaches should always be trying to get better. And that's one of the reasons why I think Doug Peterson is just so much better than most NFL head coaches because he just totally gets like, go like that, what were they, down 17-6. It was like fourth and four, right? Fourth and five. And we were debating – you guys were kind of debating like, oh my God, Doug, what are you doing? You can't go for it here. You got to kick a field goal like the out. No, you didn't. Uh, some other people. I, I was all in. On, I'm all in on the go for it. I'll go for it anytime. I'm a, I'm a no punch guy. Like, yeah. Or, but, but obviously the point is like Doug Peterson doesn't value being down eight points. Like when you're down nine right there, don't, or you're down where they 17 to six, you're down 11. If you kick a field goal, you're down eight. You still need to score a touchdown anyway. So it's kind of just like, look, how often are we going to score two more touchdowns with the way our quarterback and our team is playing? And I think, you know, he just values those situations better. And that's what I think in coaching, just in football and basketball, I think it's very, it's very pertinent for guys to be watching decisions all the time and be like, okay, how can I relate this to my sport? And I think that's where, you know, we've kind of rambled a little bit, haven't even really gotten into the guess, but I just think like that's the interesting part. If you're going to sit all weekend and play fantasy football or, or you know, goof around on Bovada like the two of us do, you can actually get some positive utility out of watching football other than your, your wives and girlfriends hating you, right? Smalls, like you can watch situations and be like, hey, what's a parallel in basketball and how do I respond to this? What, what type of information can I get from my staff or can I provide my head coach so that we're in a situation and it's, you know, I don't know, Smalls, if it's, you know, you're down one with 38 seconds left, like, what are you doing? You know, are you fouling? Are you, 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 you playing it out? Are you trying to get a quick steal? Like, what's the plan? And I think like, that's where the parallels are and you need kind of always thinking, right? I mean, that's the thought process behind if you're watching other sports, you know, and how to get better every single day, I think not to be a cliche, you know, hundred percent. I think, I think you're totally right. And I think there's, you know, I think Doug Peterson and how you can draw this parallel is I think he has a lot and maybe other coaches do. I don't know football as well, but I think he has a lot of plays for those fourth down plays at different yardage marks at different hashes and things like that specifically to get a fourth down and five I think he has that because he realizes how important it is so to draw that parallel I think you know some coaches can look at it like how many times am I going to be in that situation how many different looks can I give how many different options can I run a sideline out of balance and how important is that for me against different lineups and things like that so I think there is a lot of uh, things coaches can take out of football, but uh, also just enjoy it, you know, just try to enjoy it and don't hate yourself when you lose. Totally agree. Uh, this week's podcast guest after a 10 minute intro is Trey Meyer. He's an assistant coach at Presbyterian College down in Clinton, South Carolina. Uh, works for a guy, Quentin Farrell, that we've had on the show before. Uh, Trey's been a ton of places, Smalls. Uh, got his, worked as a student assistant at Clemson, played at Erskine, worked as a student assistant at Clemson, then GA and Dobo at TSU gets bumped up when John Cooper and them get the job at Miami of Ohio. So five years as an assistant at Miami of Ohio, a year at Furman, comes off the road, goes to College of Charleston, and then this year back on the road at PC. So, 
you know, a guy that's been around a lot of places, very active in uh, rising coaches, one of the co-founders. So a lot of overlap there, but a guy Smalls whose story I think is pretty interesting based on, you know, his decision that he wanted to be a basketball coach as, as a guy who was a D3 player and then kind of took the steps to make his dream a reality. And I think, you know, one of the things I really like about Trey and I like about his story is that it's, it's not, I don't like to say people's stories are common because they're certainly not, but he's bounced around a lot of different places. You know, he's from North Augusta, South Carolina, and, you know, spent time in Nashville, spent time at, at Clemson, spent time at, at, you know, Miami, Ohio, spent time back in Greenville, now in Clinton. Like he's had to really carve out a career for himself. And I think this is a guy for young coaches who, you know, if you're going to try to make it and not having been a good player or not have a lot of ins in the industry, Trey's a guy whose story is very good to listen to. 100%. I think that's right. We talk about it a lot. It's, you know, especially early in your career, if you're trying to make it willingness to move, we've heard that over and over from other guests on our podcast, uh, willingness to expand and network. And this is a natural way to network is being able to go to different places, get different experiences and get a lot out of those experiences, not just go there, say, I'm, you know, I'm going to coach and look for my next job, really embed yourself within the communities, the programs, and your fellow coaches who you're spending every day with, uh, and a lot of hours as a young coach as well. And that kind of propels, especially a guy like Trey on, and, you know, like you said, he's making his dream a reality, wanted to be a basketball coach and, he took the right measures and the right path to make himself successful and continue to move in that direction. And, and I do think small is one of the last things before we send it over to Trey is that we talk a little bit about the mental toughness. Cause like, you, you know, you feel great, you get promoted from Tennessee state and then you're on the road in Miami of Ohio as a young guy. And you know, things don't go great at Miami of Ohio. You get five years and yep. you get fired and you got to figure it out. So you go to Furman and maybe that's not the best situation you end up and, you know, you just got to keep, we don't like to use the word grinding, but like you got to keep your feet moving and you got to stay in the moment. And I think Trey's a guy that taught, we talked a little bit about that because getting discouraged is something that can easily happen, especially when you do feel like you've done all the right things in your career and you've taken the chances that you're supposed to take. And, you know, how do you combat that? So that's kind of like the last little piece of, of his story and, and we will send it over to, to Trey. But as always, if you like what you hear, please do uh, give us a five-star rating, leave us a review, pushes us up the rankings. Get in touch with us. We've had some good uh, contact on Twitter lately. We are at, C- uh, at Create Your Shot on Twitter, at Create Your Shot Pod on Instagram, Create Your Shot on Facebook, and Create Your Shot at gmail.com. You know, reach out to us anything you want to hear, recommendations, like you said. Uh, if you don't like something we do, if you do like something we do, just let us know. We, we love to hear from people. And uh, as always, we appreciate everyone who listens and enjoy this interview with Trey Meyer, an assistant coach at Presbyterian College. We are pleased to be joined by Trey Meyer, assistant men's basketball coach at Presbyterian College. Trey, we appreciate you joining us. How are you tonight? Doing well. Thanks, Tyler. I really appreciate you and Smalls having me on. Uh, it's an honor to be on here. Uh, doing good. Just got my two little girls to bed, so wife's downstairs watching the TV show, so everything's good in the Meyer household. Yeah, Smalls is, uh, Smalls is I guess, uh, 
kind of parenting two twins right now too. I think his family's uh, helping his sister out. So he's kind of in the same boat as you are. Yeah, dude, I'm out, I'm out so, on the kids thing, man. <laughs> yeah, you, you, yeah, that's some uh, live, live birth control right there. <laughs> uh, so kind of getting into your story, like I said, this is your first season at PC. You guys got the job back in, I guess it was April. It feels like it's been a long while, but uh, I kind of want to know, you know, and I know a little bit behind the scenes, Smalls does as well, but you know, kind of getting it into a job, leaving a, a situation at CFC that was really good and going to PC with Quentin Farrell. How did you guys kind of attack the spring and summer to, to kind of springboard you into this season? Uh, well, I know for me personally, um, obviously me and me and Q grew up together, so we've known each other for a long time. So there wasn't a big transition phase for us, which helped a lot because I had previously worked for two other um, head coaches, first-time head coaches that you know, it was the first time working with them and I wasn't that close with them. So with him, we're very familiar. So I didn't have to worry about, you know, does he want me to do this? Does he want me to do that? You know, does he need this? So I really just kind of got to attack, uh, you know, full speed ahead. So what for me was very important was number one is to get my family settled because if I didn't have my family settled, then it was going to cause a rift in trying to, you know, get things done at the office and, you know, work with the guy. So I really tried to attack that right away. And then, uh, and then I watched a lot of film, um, of the team we had, uh, coming back to us and then of the games last year that they played. And it also helped that we played them at CFC this year. So I was familiar with some of the stuff from that, um, you know, and then just spent time with the players that were there on campus, tried to address, you know, recruiting needs and so forth. And then really just tried to focus on continuing to learn. Um, and those are, those are kind of the main things I would say I went to attack right away when we got the job late April, I think it was. Yeah, actually, that's it's funny. I, I couldn't think of the right way to like phrase this question, but you did mention something that is true. You've you've been now with this is your third like first time head coach, and I think when you got to TSU, right, was John Cooper's first year at Tennessee State as well, right? So you've now done this at Tennessee State, Miami of Ohio, Furman, right? Was Bob Ritchie's first year as the head coach, though he had been there, and now this is your fourth time with like a guy kind of putting his own imprint on the program. Is that right? Yeah, well, actually, you know, obviously third because Coop went from Tennessee State to Miami, Ohio. But yes, Coop, yeah, Coop, and then Coach Ritchie, and then and then Q. Yep, so third time. How has it changed for you, especially the the kind of like the TSU to Miami of Ohio situation where you had just gotten promoted to uh, being on the road? How was this time different than that time, other than the family piece? Maybe more so in the office. Well, I mean, obviously every school is different. Um, you know, TSU, there's not a lot of administrative resources from an athletic standpoint. So you got to wear a lot of hats and you got to get a lot of things done on the ground. You can't just send an email and then, you know, so-and-so checks it off and then that thing's done. Like you, you have to go out and you have to run across campus and you have to, you know, talk to somebody and, try to build a very quick relationship because you need things to get done. Uh, so, you know, just two different places, um, you know, for here, there's more administrative support. Um, and that obviously helps a lot. Like we've got a lady in the office right now, Miss Sherry, who's like a secretary for all sports and, you know, she's got us settled in. So we're not spending half the day doing paperwork and trying to figure out how can we get out on the road recruiting, 
you know, and so forth. So I think the biggest thing is just the resources that the, co- that the uh, schools have when you get there that can help you out a lot. Yeah, no, that definitely can. You mentioned something interesting a little earlier about, you know, watching film and getting to know, you know, the players games and things like that. I want to know in each of those stops, but more t- particular here uh, at Presbyterian, how do you develop relationships with current players, new players, uh, I just feel like that can be a really difficult thing for a new staff because you mentioned you've got so many things to do. You've got to recruit. You've got to get settled in and do all these different things. How do you make time for your players and develop those relationships? Well, I think, you know, especially for us in this situation, so Q gets the job. There's four current players in the transfer portal. Then there's three players that are signed, high school players that are signed by the previous staff. So really, you know, more than half your team is kind of up in the air. So it was a it was a tough situation. So, you know, the first thing we had to do is really just try to spend time with them in any way possible. So I know for me, like going to breakfast before class in the morning, that, that was a big one because I could go in there. I'd always, you know, have a couple of guys in there you know, shoot the breeze with them, spend some time, talk about classes, not talk about basketball. Because sometimes when you're in the gym, you know, it's almost like you got to talk about basketball because you're in there. Um, and that's not always the case. But when you go to breakfast before class, I mean, they're getting ready to go. You know, they're talking about what they got that day and what classes and so forth. So, you know, for us, just trying to spend time with them any way possible. And for me, like I say, breakfast, uh, getting to know with them, uh, staying late, you know, if they play open gym, catching them after open gym, uh, just all those little things. But when it when it really boils down to it, it's just how much time can you spend with them on a daily basis and trying to maximize that. How, how do you compare this time around uh, to the other two times being a first year, you know, being a part of a first year head coach or starting a new process? Do you feel like uh, you guys really have a handle? I know you mentioned the close relationship. That's a huge part of it. Um, but do you feel like you've guys really transitioned well and you executed that maybe better than, you know, past times? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, and obviously that roster situation, it was not like that at the other places. Sure. Uh, different, like Furman, different times. Furman was, Furman, yeah, no, for sure. Like Furman was super stable. They had just had a terrific year. You know, all these guys back, like it was a completely different situation. But I do think this this time at Presbyterian – uh, I think, you know, I think Coach Farrell has done a tremendous job. I mean, you know him. I mean, he's a very composed, uh, poised guy. Uh, doesn't get rattled, doesn't get sped up. You know, he's not really too poised. Highs. He, he's he like is too poised. poised. He is poised. <laughs> it's like almost fishy how poised he is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I'm I'm the roller – I mean, our staff would say I'm the roller coaster guy, you know, sometimes get up and down, gets fiery and all those things. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think we've done well. I mean, we've got to – Got to have one of the youngest staffs in the country, but you know, Coach Corin, Coach Lagroon, Coach Fair, I mean, everybody's just kind of jumped in, developed the re- relationships with the players, you know, attack the needs, attack the things that matter, and uh, you know, just try to do it together. You know what I mean? And uh, and I think it's going well. I I actually think you. I can't remember if I sent this to him or he sent it to me, but Niagara gave a graphic about uh, Pat Beeline and them having the youngest staff in the country, but your average age. Because you only have – it's just you two that are over 30, right? Nick Lagrun is not over 30. Or he might be 32. No, I I think – yeah. No, I think Nick's 30. I think Nick's 30. So, it's – 
Q's thirty three. I'm thirty three. Yeah, it's it's scary. <laughs> Coach Coach Ben Corn is twenty five. Eric Eric Goldbach, the video guy's twenty five. Trey Johnson, I think, is like twenty eight. I mean, it's like it's a young staff, and it's it's cool because I do think at a school like PC, you're able to build some really good relationships, especially in the area and and with your players. And I think this is an interesting way to go about it because. I don't know, Trey, like you've been on staffs, obviously when you were working with Coach Cooper, like he's an older guy, but you've been on staffs that are all mixes of ages. And I think there is definitely a different way that kind of older coaches do things. And it doesn't mean it's right or wrong, but for somebody like you to be able to kind of take even more of a leadership role, this had to be something that was, I think, pretty exciting for you, right? When the opportunity came about, you know, to leave CFC and get back on the road, was, was that something you thought of? Like, hey, I have a real chance to have a huge leadership role here. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that was probably the number one factor um, because, you know, most people, you know, you know how it is at CFC. I mean, that unbelievable place, like hard to leave. And, you know, to work for Coach Grant, I mean, there's not enough time on this show to talk about, you know, what kind of person a coach Coach Grant is. But, but yeah, the leadership opportunity, you know, doing something I had, you know, being in a role I had never been in before. You know, Q giving me responsibilities I had never had before. And, you know, my goal is to be a Division One head coach. It's always been that. So for me, it's it's not about are you at the place with the nicest gym, it's got the most people. It's all about what is your job? What does the coach need you to do? Is this something you've done before? Is this going to stretch you? Is this going to help you grow? Are you going to have to get out of your comfort zone a little bit? And, you know, the answers to all those were yes. And then it was still in my home state of South Carolina, and it was back where, you know, near where my wife's family is, which is really, really important, you know, for us. Yeah, I I actually, like I said, I I think that's a big part of it. I kind of want to go back to your breaking into the business, though, because you played at Erskine, and then you transferred to Clemson, and you go three years as a student assistant. Can you kind of walk us through that? Like, was your decision like, hey, I don't, you know, playing basketball is fun, but like, I really want to be a basketball coach, and this is how I'm going to go about it? Is that kind of what went into that decision? Or did you just decide like I want to go to a bigger school and you know kind of let the chips fall where they may but or or was it more coaching motivated well uh, you know the number one reason why I left Erskine I would say is probably immaturity uh, on my part Um, I didn't I didn't have a relationship with the coach you know that's the one thing I can look back and you know had I had a strong relationship there with the coach you know, maybe would have been influenced, but at the end of the day, we all have to look ourselves in the mirror. And I think I was just immature at that point. Uh, really didn't know what I was doing. I only played a few minutes a game. Uh, you know, kind of had some tough moments there. So actually, I left there and went to South Carolina for a year. A lot of people don't know this. Went there for a year, got involved coaching AAU, and just absolutely fell in love with it. And my dad had met Will Wade. Um, you know, at Clemson, because my father went to Clemson. So he got me hooked up with a manager position. So I switched there, you know, continued coaching AAU through college and just just fell in love with it. And, uh, you know, it's actually been a blessing in disguise, to be honest with you, because, you know, if you look at it, it's probably was better for me to be at Clemson than it was to be at Erskine from a connection standpoint. Because when I was at Clemson, number one, Oliver Purnell was there, who's a phenomenal coach. We had a ton of success. And then on that staff, you've got, you know, obviously Will Wade at LSU, you know, Shaka Smarts at Texas, Mike Morell's at UNC Asheville, Ron Bradley's been a Division One head coach, you know, Josh Pastorino had been at a numerous places. It was just a plethora of really good coaches. So, you know, it, it just immediately gave me a network in college coaching. 
did you think about going from Clemson to maybe a smaller school to try to get on the road right away? Or was it always a plan to go take the GA position? Or was it just like, hey, I'm going to take whatever job is out there because it's, it's hard to get a job <laughs> and I got to do something? Well, I think when I first graduated and left from Clemson, I think I thought that I was probably going to be the next GA at Duke, which is what most people think. And I quickly, I quickly found out I couldn't get any jobs, like none. Uh, but eventually it gets to August and I'm coaching at my high school back home. I'm like, you know what? This is fine. I got into coaching. I love coaching. I don't care where it's at. This is nice. I'm going to try to get my master's back here so I can make a little bit more money when I teach. And that was kind of the plan. And then I got an interview at Lewisburg College, which is a JUCO in North Carolina. Went up there and met John Meeks, you know, loved it, had an opportunity there. And then also I got a phone call uh, about a GA position at Tennessee State, which I really didn't do anything to really get. It was all Josh Pastorino talking to Sheldon Everett. Sheldon Everett was assistant for Coop. I didn't know Coop, but the guys at Clemson pretty much vouched for me. So they got me that. So I decided between those two. And I went to Tennessee State because it came back to the, you know what, if I end up coaching high school, it's going to be nice to have a master's because you can make probably about five to seven more thousand dollars a year if you teach. And I just thought that was a good thing to have down the road because I never knew where I was going to go. And then once I got to Tennessee State, had never met John Cooper, had never been in Nashville and had never stood foot on Tennessee State and just went up there and moved and found an apartment on Craigslist, which is probably scary to think about in this day and age, but that's just what I did. And then I moved up there and now John Cooper is almost a family member to me, um, you know, just based off having met him there and then working with him and, you know, going through the year. So it's just, it's been unbelievable. Where, where was your apartment? I, I, you know, obviously people know that I live in Nashville now, but you got there 10 years ago. Like where, where were you living in tech? Cause the city is so different now than even it was five years ago when I got here, where were you living 10 years ago in Nashville? Well, you're going to say I got lucky because I was living on a little street off of Belmont Boulevard over near Belmont. So I lived behind the house, those nice houses over there in 21st or Hillsborough village off 21st Avenue. So behind the house, there was a guy named Jim Zerfus that played at uh, DePaul with a W and he had like this little like self-made studio apartment where they used to have a, you know, they used to have like people that played music come in there and it actually had like crow bars on the windows, but he had a little thing and he started renting it. So I saw the listing and I hit him up. It was like four fifty. It was, I mean, unbelievable. <laughs> so I hit him up and he calls me back and says, Hey, I've got like 30 something people hit me about this. You know, you, cause I had to tell him a little bit about myself. You want to be a college basketball coach. I played at DePaul. I love college basketball. I'm going to give it to you. So I say, Wow, this sounds good. So that's how I got that. And I stayed in the same apartment for three years. And my wife and I actually got married. And she, in my last year up there, she moved in in January. And we stayed in that thing. And then after the year was when we went to Miami, Ohio. So she really was only up there for about a couple of months. But awesome location. Awesome. Funny story, Smalls. That apartment probably sold for like $789,000 <laughs> when, when Trey got out there. Yeah. That's the value now. That's right. Oh, man. Should have bought it up while you could. Jeez. Oh, um, I know. <laughs> No, it was awesome. So, so Trey, when you were, you know, kind of, so to say, cutting your teeth in the business as a grad assistant and then, you know, get an opportunity to be an assistant coach and move on, what were some challenges early on in your career, um, just from your standpoint, adjusting to the college coaching landscape? Well, 
I'll say this. So when I got to Tennessee State, um, it was a great situation to come into because, number one, I was a first-time head coach. Um, number two, uh, like I said before, Tennessee State did not have a lot of administrative support, nor did it have a lot of support staff. So really, I was a graduate assistant, but I was also the director of operations. You know, we had a guy that helped us with video. We did video together. I was Coop's administrative assistant. I mean, you name it, I had to do. And for some people, they look at it and they say, oh, God, that's ridiculous. You know how much they pay you. Well, I got paid so much in experience. It was unbelievable. So so that actually helped me tremendously. And Coop put me in situations um, that probably most GAs didn't get to experience. I mean, he gave me right out of the gate. You know, I was responsible for like three or four scouts immediately. And I had to address the team, had to address the team, had to give the report, the whole deal. So, I mean, it's just things he did for me to help me grow. And then me being in that position where there was a lot required and I really wasn't ready for it or did I deserve it, but I just, it had to get done, you know? So you just figure it out and get it done. Trey, what would you, what kind of advice would you give to guys? Cause it's, it's obvious that, you know, Coop put you in a position to succeed and that when that position opened up for you to take the jump from, you know, Dobo to assistant, which I think is one of the hardest jumps for guys to make to prove to coaches to like trust them enough to like give them that opportunity if they have not been on the floor anymore. You know, he had done that. What you know, you're very involved in rising coaches, and we'll get to that. But like, what advice would you give to younger guys? You know, going from like manager to video coordinator to Dobo to assistant, if maybe their coach doesn't give them that type of opportunity. Like, what what do you kind of do to? What do you think in your experience is the best way to kind of prove to somebody like, hey, I'm ready to jump from that administrative role to get onto the floor? Well, I mean, I look back at my experience and I think the reason why I got moved up was trust, loyalty, and I did the job that I was supposed to do and I didn't necessarily try to do the next job that I wanted. So I think those are the biggest things that helped me. And then also I was very fortunate and the Coop's trying to fill the last spot in Miami. So I actually got to recruit a little bit for a couple of weeks. And there was a local guy because Coop was going to hire somebody from Ohio because everybody's kept saying Ohio, 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 Ohio. So I just went out and tried to recruit Ohio really quick and was fortunate enough to get a commitment from a kid down the road, ended up being a thousand point scorer at Miami, Ohio. So that was kind of how that worked for me. But back to your original question, I mean, if you're not some big time player in college or anything like that, which I certainly was not, I couldn't, I didn't do anything, but you've got to go work your tail off for somebody. And most, more times than not, I think the best situation is to go to a lower level division one and go try to, you know, work at Kentucky or something like that. You know, because if you go somewhere the smaller and you have to wear more hats, I think you can, you know, you can prove prove yourself more valuable and you do more things and you grow faster. And then if, you know, if that person can trust you and, uh, you know, ultimately, obviously you got to prove that to them, but, you know, I think that's probably the best way to go about it. And I got, and I had, I got passed over a few times too. That's what most people don't forget, you know, like you don't, you don't, you don't necessarily get it the first time, you know, you got to keep working and if they don't give it to you, you got to come back and you got to work harder and you got to try to figure it out why and maybe get some feedback and, you know, just kind of go from there. No, that's a great, that's a great point. I want to, I want to ask you a little bit about, um, you know, co-founding rising coaches. Uh, obviously we, it's a great network and I want to talk about 
what went into that for you and how, how was that kind of developed? And if you give us some background on that. Yeah. So I was, uh, I was actually a student manager at Clemson when we came up with it. Um, Adam Gordon was the graduate assistant and Andy Farrell was the video coordinator. So literally we had just, you know, like most people did work together, we'd always be talking about different things. And back then it was the, you know, it was the Villa seven, I believe it was the VCU thing where they, you know, they provided that opportunity for assistant coaches so they could go be head coaches. So, you know, we I think we we're just having a few beers one night at the SO club and we're just like, uh, you know, there's nothing for people that are trying to be assistants or trying to, you know, just trying to break into the business, you know, why don't we do something? There's tons of people. So that's really how it generated just sitting there having a few brewskis, you know, talking about that. But, and it's just kind of really evolved on itself, you know, and Adam's kind of running it now and Andy's done so much and I've by far done the least of the three, but it's, it's really just taken off on itself. It really has. It's funny because there are so many events that are like, hey, listen to these guys and, and they have great messages. And then there are other events that are like, hey, like come have a few beers and like we'll network. And it seems like it's not that far from when you guys were probably hanging out in somebody's apartment playing like NCAA football 09, <laughs> drinking some Natty Definitely. Lights and talking about a way to like maybe help other people and make some discretionary income at the same time. Are you surprised at how big <laughs> it's gotten? Like, I mean, it's because it, it is a big thing and there are events you know, I, I think now Adam is doing it full time, right? Like he, he is officially like, this is his full time job. And I don't know, I don't think that was the case before, but are you surprised at how big it's gotten? Uh, not really, because there's a lot of people out there hungry to get into coaching and are just looking for ways to get involved. So I'm not surprised at all, you know, because once, the, once that thing got up and it got out, it just it just took off, you know, and it's never been a, you know, Adam is doing it full time and I'm not sure you know, how financially it's doing right now, but I never made a dime off of it and nor did I ever want to, you know, like I said, it's all been sponsorships and those sponsorships, uh, those, those things fund the conferences, which they used to be in Vegas. So pretty pricey, pretty pricey and still had to charge for about 50 or 70 bucks. I can't remember what it was, but you know, it was, it was awesome. You know, and it's like I said, it's run so. That's like kind of one of the things Smalls and I learned is that there's so many people that like all all you gotta do is ask them, and they're willing to help out with, you know, especially with coaches. And we joke about it a little bit because like a, a higher profile Division One guys, like we like to keep it a little bit lighter on here, and they don't necessarily want to be put in a situation where they might say something that kind of hurts <laughs> their brand. You get the whole like Tim Miles, Jeff Goodman thing, where Tim Miles is like, "Hey, if they fire me, I'm still a millionaire," and then Nebraska's like, "Can't believe this guy's our head coach. Like, what a jerk." But <laughs> I do think it's it's an it's an interesting thing because a lot of times guys feel like they don't have a lot of help, but that's a lot of reason is because like they don't ask or they don't know or they feel like, oh, I'm not going to network or this guy doesn't want to hear from me. And like, that's just not necessarily the case. There are tons of coaches out there that are fully willing to offer any sort of experience. And, you know, as long as they feel like it's the right situation, you know, and I'm not out here telling coaches to be like, hey, call, you know, you got Buzz Williams' home phone number, call him a hundred times a month. Like, that's not what I'm saying. But like asking somebody for help, I think, guys are way more willing to help than I think Smalls and I ever realized when we started the show. And I think that's one of the things about rising coaches that's super interesting is it just creates this, you know, very large and vast network of guys where they feel kind of comfortable and they feel like they've built more of a foundation that they maybe didn't have before. No, you're absolutely right. And I, and I'll never forget. I mean, the first couple of years we got that thing going, I mean, I was amazed at the people that we, you know, had to speak there. I mean, like Buzz Williams spoke at it, you know, I mean, I'll never forget Kevin O'Neill speaking at it and making making everybody close the doors 
no phones out, <laughs> put everything up, turn the camera off, and just going like full tilt. Like I'll, I'll never forget those things. What would the bleep? What would the bleep button have been like if you were selling that Rising Coaches DVD of Kevin O'Neill? Would you have been? Would there have been any uh, scenes without cursing, or or he was he was just on his best behavior? Um, he was not on his best behavior, but it would it would, it wouldn't have been like every other word. But there there was a there were a fair amount of bleeps in there, and you know the best the best one ever. And I'm not going to say the word, but the best thing he ever did was like right from the beginning. I can't remember if it was the first thing or not. He looks at everybody in the room, and he says, "You know what you guys need to do? You guys need to shut the f up." <laughs> <laughs> you know, he said, "You talk too much." You think you know too much. You don't know beep, you know? And it was just like right in the square in the face. And when you really sit there and think about it after the fact, you're, you're like, he's right, you know? Because I remember my first few years as a GA, it's like, I thought I knew everything. You think you know everything, you know? And you get involved in everything and what play to run, who should play. Of we course. should do this, we should that. And it's like, what are you doing? You know, you don't know <laughs> anything, you know? You don't know anything. So, but that was a, that was a great moment. I'll never forget. How did you, you know, you mentioned that, and that's funny. I think we've all had those similar experiences when we were younger. It's like, I, I know everything. I, I know how to run these plays. I could call these plays out, but you realize if you ever, you know, sat in that head coaching chair, it'd be a lot more difficult and, uh, you know, a lot more cringeworthy. But how did you kind of, how do you feel like looking back right now at your career, how do you feel like you've matured and elevated? And how did you go about that through all of these years? Um, to be honest with you, like I just said, like rising coaches was a big part of it because I was able to hear all these different speakers. And then once you hear all these speakers and you start hearing some of the same things over and over, like do your job, do your job, like learn to listen, listen to learn, like things like that. Once those things start sticking in you, I think you start to look and, you know, what most coaches do is they self-evaluate and then you start looking at yourself. And if you have a realistic, you know, view of yourself and things you need to work on and all these things and that's how you mature and get better and continue to grow and hopefully put yourself in good opportunity or chance to give yourself a good chance to you know get some good opportunities Trey, i want to talk about going from miami of ohio to Furman, just in the sense that you know you, you have a lot of success at tennessee state you get the miami of ohio job you're there you know five years doesn't go necessarily the way everybody wanted and then you, you're looking for a job again after feeling like hey i, I you know I got myself, I proved myself on the road. I'm trying to get better. You know, things are good. What's the mindset when you get fired as a staff? Because I think that's when, it, you know, we've talked about this a lot. It's going to happen if you end up in the business for a long time. Very few people are, you know, fortunate enough to be Mike Krzyzewski and just, you know, it ultimately works. Maybe Quentin Farrell. I'm not, I'm not sure, honestly. He's, uh, he's got a good <laughs> little run going. But, you know, what, what's, sure it, what's it like, Trey? Like, what's the mindset? You know, what's what's it like the day after you get the phone call and you're like, all right, now I got to reset. I got to figure it out. You know, how did you kind of attack that and stay positive and focused? Well, I think, number one, I, I always told myself I never want to be the guy that's shocked when you get fired. I mean, I think those people obviously have no idea what they've been doing because, you know, you, you have a sense for how this business works. You know, when you're year four or five and you hadn't had a winning season, like, this is what comes with it. You know what I mean? So I think number one, I was as prepared as I could be, you know, thinking about it, mm -hmm. but once it actually happens, um, it's hard, you know, and it's not just hard in that moment. It's just 
it lingers. Like I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you there is still moments a ton during the week where I go back and I think about something there or I think about that situation, should have done this, should have done that. I mean, I, I still in my head and it's hard to get out. Um, and then beyond basketball, depending on if you have a wife and kids, I mean, how am I going to support them? You know, it sounds easy. Oh yeah. I'll just go get a job. And then you can't get one. And then all of a sudden you're trying to find a place and you're at your parents, you know, but um, <laughs> it's hard. I mean, it's really, really hard, you know, just because, you know, like I said, self-evaluating, you, you think you could have done more. You look at what you should have done, what you shouldn't have done. And, you know, you just really critique the heck out of yourself and, it's just, you know, it just takes a toll on you, to be honest with you. Yeah, I think because mental toughness, we talk about it so much with players. It's like, oh, he's not tough enough or he's soft or whatever. And I don't think it's something that get brought, it gets brought up enough in coaching because, like you said, and we, we've joked about this off the air a ton and even on the air, like, it's so hard to not let your mood be affected by what your record is. Like, when you're 1-0, and things are great. When you're 5-0, and things are great. If you're 1-3, and you know, it, it, this is the one kind of business where you take things home with you. So I, I think you know, staying in the moment is really important. What, when you got to Furman, were you, I want to, I want to know, like when, when you get there, it's like, okay, I don't, these guys know each other. Like you said, they had been really successful. You know, how did you kind of go from being with one staff from eight, for eight years and not, I know probably the staff wasn't all the same, but like one staff for eight years and one head coach to working for another head coach? Like how, how did that gel for you? And, and how did you kind of assimilate yourself when you got in there? Well, really, you know, I, I knew the success they had had. I, I learned about the situation a little bit. I had been to Furman before growing up. So I had a feel for what I was going into. Um, I knew Coach Ritchie a little bit just from being assistants on the road. Didn't know anybody else on staff. Um, but I really just tried to come in and learn and just listen, you know, because I'm thinking, well, heck, I was just on the staff that got fired. These guys just had a great year. We had everybody coming back. Like, I just need to come in here and work hard and listen and not try to go against the grain right away and, you know, try to act like I know this or that. And just, you know, because they're doing things different down here. It's a different situation. There's probably a lot I can learn here. And I just really tried to go, you know, kind of in like that, you know. Yeah. I just, like I said, I always think it's, it's different because you're used to doing things a certain way. And like you said, you have success, you're always trying to learn and get better. And then all of a sudden you, you, you know, when you get fired, it's like you said, it's tough. You think you're just going to get a job and you get out there and you know, you get in there and things are different. And and I do want to talk about work-life balance because you've talked about your wife and your daughters a little bit. And I want to know how, especially, you know, moving around, this is now what, this is your third, luckily South Carolina for all three jobs, but third, (laughs) third job in three years, you know, how do you stay balanced as a father and as a husband while also trying to, you know, fortunate the last three places and even PC are not total rebuilds. So like there is some success and some foundation at all of those places, of course, but for you, you know, how how do you stay balanced when you're, you know, your situations changed each of the last three years? Well, I think the first thing you can do is you can put yourself in a position where you're working for somebody that values those same things you value. Because when you have something that doesn't line up with what you value, it's a hard situation. It's really hard. I think that's where it starts. That's where it starts. Now, beyond that, I think, you know, for me, I mean, it's depending on, you know, what your situation is with kids and so forth, but I got two young kids. So for me, like prioritizing 
the mornings, their early mornings, like when they wake up, that time with them in the morning, and then that time with them before they go to bed. Like those are my two times. Like, I mean, I gotta have. You know what I mean? And I don't get them. I don't get them all the time, but every chance I get, like I'm, I'm getting those times. You know what I mean? Like I have to. You know, so I think just just making that commitment and working for the you know the right people that value those things. Because when you when you do that, like I mean, you know, Coach Grant, like when you work for Coach Grant, like I mean, it, it's not that hard to have a good balance. You know what I mean? If if you really care about your family, you know what I mean? Because he cares about his family a ton. So you know, he's just a living example of it every single day. I mean, you know what I mean? I, I'll never forget Coach Coach Bender, who's now at Clemson, telling me that like yep, when you work yep. for a guy and you see how much they care about their family and they're the head coach with all the pressure on them and they're the ones making all the money and they're the one clocking the big hours, like if you don't care that much about your family, what does that say about you? And I, I remember, you know, it wasn't <laughs> like it was a shot, you know what I mean? Because I was down there and I had, right. know, just had a girlfriend, like we'd only been dating about a year at that point, like and she was moving down there, but like, it's my wife now, so take that, Coach Bender. I cared a lot about her, but it was just, it, it was just <laughs> a funny right. it was just a funny quote because he was saying, like, you don't always get opportunities to work with guys like that, that, like, those priorities are front and center, and they're not just saying it. You know, they're not on the podium saying, like, hey, I care about my family, and then behind the scenes they're, like, MFing you for coming in at 8.15 because you dropped your kids <laughs> off at school, you know? But That's you're, exactly you're, right. Yeah, exactly you're, right. you're exactly right. Like, there's just – endless stories about him being a great guy. And I'm sure most of the guys that you've worked with, and I know, you know, we know Q personally, and I know he's like that as well. And I think, like you said, it makes your job as an assistant and your job as a, you know, subordinate, if you will, like much easier to do because you believe in what they're putting forth. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. I mean, the, the, sorry if I cut you off right no, there. You I was going to say the, yeah, my bad, man. The one, the one thing I've really like known to grown to appreciate is like the guys that treat you like we're just talking about Coach Grant. The guys that treat you like Coach Grant and Coop and those guys, you will run through a brick wall for those guys because of the way you treat you. The guys that do the opposite, man, they just you get home and you're just like, man, let me get away from this. You know what I mean? Like I don't want to come back to this. I gotta, I gotta, you know, value this time every second I get because I ain't gonna get it tomorrow until you know, whatever time that is, you know? So it's just, it's just amazing, you know, when you treat people the way you want to be treated, what ends up happening. No, that's perfect. And there's a, there's a lot more uh, people in coaching like that than sometimes we think uh, you get a little jaded sometimes early in your career, or if you're in a certain situation, but I want to ask you, I know you mentioned earlier the goal and I'm sure the goal remains the same. You want to be a division one head coach. How are you setting your goals, you know, year in, year out? Obviously, staying focused on building a program because we know as assistant coaches, if our program's not successful that we're working for, we're not recruiting right or anything like that, you don't really have that opportunity. But how are you specifically setting those goals to reach that dream of becoming a Division One head coach? Yeah, well, it, like you said, what, what you said hit the nail on the head. So it's, you know, helping the place you're at you know, be successful. And for me, you know, it was just making that move to Presbyterian with Quentin, taking that new responsibility, putting myself in a, in a position that would, you know, hopefully help me grow to where I can be a head coach one day. So I think number one is just, you know, trying to put yourself in the best position possible and then helping that place be successful. And then, you know, I think you've just got to continue to, you know, find your voice in coaching. Um, you know, and that's on the floor, that's in the locker room, that's, 
you know, in the staff meetings, it's, it's all those things, you know, cause sometimes when you're young, you know, you may have a lot to say, you may not know when to say it, you know, you may not know what to say, but you know, the longer you're in this. And I think for me, this is my 11th year, I believe, you know, I can look back and, you know, just, I can see how much I've grown and, you know, especially with my voice and stepping up and saying things and, you know, interject in and, you know, there's times when the players, you know, need to hear a different voice at a specific time and just being able to step up in those moments and deliver, you know, what they need to hear. So, you know, it's just like you said, making the program successful where you're at and putting yourself in a good opportunity, you know, to advance that, you know, because, you know, for me, I'm not going to get, nobody's going to interview me after the year if we get, you know, if we have a terrific season and, and, you know, in Quentin, something happens with Quentin. Like there's not a school in the country. But I tell you what, if there is one, it's going to be Presbyterian, right? That's That would be my only chance. If Coach Grant leaves or whatever, like there ain't a shot in heck that I'm getting even, even like, hey, would you be interested? Like nada, like nothing. You know what I mean? So it, it's just like when I was at Tennessee State and I got moved up Miami, Ohio. There's not another Division One school in the country that was going to hire me as an assistant. I tried. He tried to help me. Nobody was going to hire me except for the one in the place I was at at that moment. So, you know, it just goes back to knowing who you are, trying to find your own path, even if it's kind of unorthodox, and then just, you know, kind of living with what happened and putting your best foot forward. Trey, do you think you knew that? Sorry, I know Smalls wants us to go to Coach Speak, but I, I just think your point about, like, <laughs> knowing that, you know, who else is going to hire you. And that was like a guy I worked for in with the 76ers, like Rod Baker, like he said that to me, like, okay, right now, if you needed a job, who would hire you? Who, who will hire you if the opportunity arises? Do you think like, did you have to get told no a couple times before you realized like, well, shit, this is my opportunity. This is how I'm going to change my situation. Or, or, and do you feel like guys don't necessarily grasp that early on in their career, especially guys like that you would talk to through like rising coaches or, you know, managers, GAs, people of that ilk? Yeah, I think, I think I've learned that, um, you know, with the whole Tennessee state, Miami, Ohio thing, because when I got moved up, it wasn't like we moved up there and it's like, boom, you're on the road. No, it's like, you're the ops. Here we go. Boom, boom. Like, and I was the ops like for a month or so. And then I got it after being there for a month. So I just, I just remember really sitting down and, you know, just being blown away that it happened. And then thinking like, who who else would have hired me? You know what I mean? Like nobody, like I got to be realistic, like nobody would. And then I've just carried that throughout my career and it's played a big part. And it was a big part of, you know, the decision to go to Presbyterian, you know, and yeah, I just try to try to have a realistic view of kind of who I am and, you know, my path and the past experiences I've had. And like you said, who would potentially hire me, which there ain't many people. You know, it's funny, like I always I kind of laugh and Smalls might laugh when I say this because this is I've done this in the final four before, but like you meet guys who just have this like unbelievable air about them of just like irrational confidence of like they're talking <laughs> to all these different people and they're like they're so like you said, whether or not it's a young guy who thinks he's going to work at Duke or it's like an assistant who's like, I want to be a head coach in, in three years or whatever. And sometimes it works. Sometimes you're like, what the heck, man? Like, how does that guy have this level of confidence and like this level of ability? Like, is he way better than me? And I think like that's one of the biggest things in coaching is kind of like, you know, figuring out who you are and who your path is, like you said, Trey, is, is not the same as everybody else's. And it just doesn't matter what anyone else's path is. But, you know, it's a very kind of uh, on the surface industry a lot of the time. So I think it's, it's hard to kind of figure that out. And, you know, I think it's awesome to hear you say that because I think it's something that people do need to hear 
get said over and over again because everybody's just like, man, how do I get this job? How did this person get this job? Like, how can I get in that situation? And it just doesn't seem to be, you know, healthy or the right way to kind of go about it because it doesn't put you in, you know, the right mindset for where you are, I guess. Yeah, there's just there's just too many people out there worried about what their perception is and what it's going to look like if they go here or go there, or, you know, come off the road and go. It's just everybody's worried about that, you know, and I just try not to worry about that, you know, and, you know, just kind of, like I said, do my own path and go my own way and just live that, you know. Yeah. Bet, bet on yourself. We'll check We'll check and see, like, what your odds are on Bovada to, you know, get a head coaching interview <laughs> next year, you know. Uh, we'll, go into co- we'll go into coach speak. Uh, you're a Clemson alum, so this, this actually, this quote kind of – we love Dino Babers, head coach at Syracuse. He says some wild stuff. It's hilarious. <laughs> he likes to have a good time, but – He's talking about your Clemson Tigers, specifically Trevor Lawrence, and he uh, he said before the game he's got a castle, he's got a moat, he's got some dragons. That dude is protected, and uh, obviously he's talking about the offensive line and the talent around Trevor Lawrence. I kind of want to talk about your recruiting philosophy and you know how you learn to recruit as a Division One assistant and what you kind of have learned to value in certain players at, at different situations. Well, obviously, you know, it depends on who you're working for and what things matter to them the most. Um, you know, but the big, biggest thing for me has always been trust your eyes. I mean, trust your eyes. Like, don't go with the rankings. Don't go with the media. Don't go with the social media hype. Like, trust your eyes if that guy can play and if he meets what your head coach is looking for. And then we dig into the character a little bit and find out what's there, you know, and then the support system. I mean, I think for me it's – that sounds somewhat simple, but that's really what it boils down to, I think. Yeah, I think I, – I just wonder, you know, when you got to Presbyterian this time, how quickly were you able to evaluate, in your opinion, you and Q together, what was needed getting, going into the spring and summer? Because obviously you didn't have the lead time to kind of recognize, you know, what – you know, maybe what was coming back. And, you know, especially the stuff with the transfer portal is just kind of – made college basketball, especially at the low major level, a little bit different now. But did you feel really comfortable going into the spring and summer based on the plan that you guys had created? Um, yeah, I would say somewhat. I mean, I don't want to act like we got all the answers and we knew it and all this stuff. But, I mean, we, you know, we had the guys play a little bit. We worked them out a few times, and it was very obvious. Hey, you know what? We, we need somebody that can break people down off the ball, you know? Uh, we need somebody that can make some shots. we got to upgrade our length and athleticism. And really, those were like the three things we thought we needed the most. So we just tried to go find that, you know, as quickly as possible because it was so late, you know, and we had, you know, we had four scholarships. So just tried to attack that as quickly as possible. And thankfully, you know, being a CSC um, and then our other staff, Coach Brun, and obviously Ben was with us, but and Coach Johnson, Dobo, you know, we had seen a decent amount of players. So we knew about a couple of guys when we, you know, identified those things we were looking for. Yeah, no, that's that's always the challenge, but seems like you guys are going to do great. Uh, you know, I'm going to take on Bovada. I'm going to take Presbyterian to win the national championship. So good odds. That's going to be good. Like it's great odds. Like, I hear it's like, great odds. It might be like plus a hundred thousand smalls. That'll be good if we we'll put it. We'll put a lot of money back into rising coaches if uh, if that one hits. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. But I do want to move it over. I'm moving it to City Review. Obviously, okay. You know. You know, one day we're we're going on a recruiting trip. Maybe we're coming for a weekend. We're going to Greenville, South Carolina. A lot of people don't know about Greenville, South Carolina. I'll tell you a guy who doesn't know about Greenville, South Carolina. Me. 
but I know you know about it, Trey. <laughs> so you're going to give me three restaurants, two bars, and one activity. And I want in those two bars, we're going to have beers. We're going to come up with the next great idea. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. So I'll let you take it away. Um, all right. Three restaurants. Uh, y'all going to kill me. But uh, Hall's Chop House, Sobeys, and Tupelo Honey. Can't go wrong with any of them. You got you to be willing to spend a little bit. But those things are good. I forgot there was a Hall's in Greenville. That was I should have known that was coming. Hey, yeah, that's where Coach Farrell took his wife for his anniversary yesterday. So you know that's a big time spot. So the other thing is that Coach Farrell's paychecks are pretty big, huh? He's taking going to halls for anniversary <laughs> dinners. Things are good as the head coach of the Presbyterian Blue Hose. That's right. That's right. Uh, two two bars, I would tell you. Um, can't go wrong with Carolina Ale House. They got a big time second level floor with TVs all over the place. Great. And then probably my favorite spot is Sip Rooftop Bar. I uh, got some tiki torches up there, some nice chairs. Um, like I said, it's on top. Uh, beautiful place. You can see downtown from up top. It's a really, really nice spot. Yeah, I, I always I need a rooftop in my life, especially, you know, I know it's a little warmer down there. And as it gets colder up here, I'll <laughs> Absolutely. Have to come down to Greenville and take a tiki torch, maybe throw it off the roof, get kicked out. But we'll we'll leave yeah, that for another day. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> um, so we need so we need activities. Just one um, one activity. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, if you're down there and Clemson plays on that Saturday, it's about a 45-minute ride, but you need to go out and watch the Tigers play football. I'm down with that. I'm it's, down with a little Clemson football. It's been so <laughs> hot. I, I mean, I don't Trey, did you go when they played Texas A&M? I knew some people that were there, and it was like 125 degrees on the field. In game time. <laughs> no, we actually had a uh, – we had an official visit that weekend, but I did go to uh, me and Coach Green went to the uh, Georgia Tech game on a Thursday night. So it was, yeah, it was nice then. But um, but yeah, got to go there if you've never been there. Let Let me ask you a question about Death Valley. I hear I don't know this for sure. I have a friend who's a big Clemson fan. His brother lives just outside there. But I hear the entrance is it one of the top five kind of college experiences to witness the touching of like the rock and running down the hill? Is it really that great? Um, yeah. I mean, depending on who you talk to, it's the best, you know, I think it's the best. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's, it's more than that, you know, as they load up the buses, they drive around the stadium, you see the police escort, they get off the buses going berserk. You know, Dabo comes to the rock, you know, here's the team. You got the fights on and Dabo goes, like full out like sprint down the hill and sprint in the middle field, midfield as fast as he can and they come out and everybody goes nuts and the cannon goes off but i mean it's it's pretty fun man it's pretty it's fun time. but you can tell it means a lot to me you gotta make sure you stay in shape if you're dabbo sweeney right because you can't go tripping down the hill there like if you your legs get caught up under you or something like <laughs> you're gonna be on sports center for the yeah, rest practice of your life. that run you know that's a lot of pre-season oh, no question one. Dabo practices for sure, I mean, Smalls. If there's one thing I'm sure about, that guy takes practice <laughs> runs down the hill. He needs to know. He's got someone on staff, probably guy probably makes $180,000 to tell him what the temperature is, if the grass is slick, <laughs> how much humidity is in the air. I mean, this is Clemson football we're get, talking about. Get this a couple new spikes in there, new yeah. spikes in his cleats. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, yeah no, I'm, I'm sure he's in shape too because when I was a student at Clemson, he used to come play pickup basketball at lunch every day. Um, so I'm sure, I'm sure he's doing some stuff to stay in shape. All right, cool. Let's go to uh, 10 touches. I got the first five, 30-second rapid-fire question and answer. Uh, who's the funniest person you've ever worked with? Uh, Rick Duckett. 
And he, is he unintentionally funny? Intentionally funny? What's what's you know why? Why is he so? You you said it right away too, like you knew it. Yeah, yeah, no question. Uh, both, both. Lots of knowledge, wisdom, quotes. I mean, just just hilarious, hilarious. Right. What's your worst basketball travel story? Recruiting trip back from Louisville. I was on the interstate and got trapped there. Um, could not could not move anywhere. Had to sleep in the car that night for seven hours, and it was twenty degrees outside. And I had to uh, monitor my gas. So I had to cut the car on and off once every hour. Try to keep the gas. Brutal, brutal. That is. I feel like we've had more guys than I thought tell us like they've had some incidents where they've had to you know tie one on in the car and just kind of like fall asleep for a little while and hope for like people to come. That's that's something. Can't say that ever happened to me. Uh, What's your if you have an opportunity? It's the off season. I know it's come seasons ending soon, but if you have an opportunity, what what are you binge watching on TV? Uh, I watch This Is Us with my wife. Oh, nice! Such That's a good one. Such a <laughs> score the points, baby. Take them while you can get them. Shot at me. <laughs> take a shot at me. Go ahead. No, <laughs> no. I, I hear it's really good. Like I've been like that's one of the. I think I've now we've been on this podcast Tyler for two years, and I think I said right at the beginning, my mom has told me I need to watch This Is Us with my girlfriend. And you know what? I haven't done it, but I probably should. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what else is good. It's a million, a million little things if you haven't seen that one. I like that one too. I'm a bit, this, these are family man recommendations and I'm here for them. I love it. It's like, you want to get better. You want to do a better job of being a coach, a husband, and a father. These are the shows that you need to watch. Come to I this just, podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not true at all. <laughs> <laughs> what would you be doing if you weren't coaching basketball? Uh, I'm gonna say teaching. Teaching, yeah, uh, yeah. Last one for me. You probably coach while you teach too. A little hedge your hedge your bet right there. But uh, <laughs> last one for me. What's your favorite and least favorite practice drill? Uh, favorite. Uh, we called it win the possession at Charleston. Uh, we did. We did it at Furman as well. But pretty much, you got to execute an offensive set. You got to have great transition defense. And you got to get a stop and a rebound and slide. Uh, that's my favorite drill of all time. And least favorite is in, any closeout drill you can come up with. Can't, can't stand them. Like, <laughs> just don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you could change one thing about college basketball, what would it be? I think it would be the second time people get caught for cheating their band forever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving them one. I'm giving them one. I'm giving them one. You know what I mean? Like I believe in second chances, but after I mean second one, like you got to be done. I mean, it's the it's the old Royce Waltman quote. You you just can't you can't get fired for losing. You can get fired for everything else, and you'll get you know a bunch of opportunities. You get fired for losing, it feels like you don't get ever second ever get a second chance. Exactly right. <laughs> what's your be- what's your best moment as a coach? I think when we were at Tennessee State and we won at Murray State the year they were undefeated, that was probably the best win I've been a part of. So I'm going to go with that one. All right. And then uh, what's your pregame routine? I don't don't have one. Changes uh, last Good. few years has changed three times. So, I like that. Yeah, don't don't have one. Yeah, not, I'm not in on that. Yeah, you're not you're not like trying to get a sweat, get a certain workout, only run two point eight two miles and then drink an energy <laughs> drink and only broccoli soup. I gotcha. No.
Not at all. I mean, I did try to get a workout in with Proto with Proto at Charleston last year, but uh, oh, that yeah. don't count, really. Oh, yeah. Oh, the abductors. He would have put you through something great. That's exactly – he would have been like, Trey, let me see the pants you got to wear for yeah. the game. I'll make sure you look <laughs> really pop. You look tremendous. Your traps weren't good enough last game. Let me pull up a little hand cleans. Let's go. Got it. Proto. Oh, he's the best. Got to get back best. with him. All right, uh, last coach who texted you, what did they say? Uh, I was Tyler Murray at Lipscomb, and he was talking about a video I sent him of my three-year-old hitting golf balls. Yeah, There you go. That's it. That's it. How's the swing (laughs) look? Um, You know, it's pretty good for clubs that don't fit her, so I'd say it's pretty decent. I'll show you. Go ahead. No, I was going to say it's amazing how she starts falling in love with golf at three right now. It's, it's like a dream. <laughs> I'm going to send you a video of me golfing when I was two years old. I'm going to show you what a real swing looks like and make sure she's following oh. me. I watched Jack Nicholas tapes when I was like a kid, and it was like an obsession. It was so <laughs> weird. But uh, not Jack Nicholas tapes here, but what's your hidden talent or secret talent? Um, you know, I don't, I don't, I couldn't come up with that one. So I don't, I don't really have a hidden talent. I don't think. That's okay. That's good. That's, that's fine. <laughs> no, no secret talents, no skills, no, no anything. That's okay. <laughs> 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 you know, I, well, you know, I'm phenomenal at cornhole. So I'm going to go with that one. That's I'm a, what I'm yeah, I'm a, I'm a heck about. of a cornhole player. Heck of a cornhole player. You just got yourself an invite to the Create Your Shot Decathlon, which features darts, <laughs> bowling. We've got all these different things coaches say they're good at, and we're going to pit you all against each other. We do. So, we do need to figure out. We need to figure out a way to do this at the Final Four next year because the amount of coaches that have told us like they're great at like ping pong, ping pong cornhole, yeah. beer pong, <laughs> like all these different. We'll things. find like, out. We need guys. We need guys to start putting their money where their mouth is for sure. Like we need to see this. I'm full, fully on board with that. I'll be there if you guys do it. I mean that. I think every coach would show up just to compete and like you know have some bragging rights. Two podcast guests we need to have on. Uh, Dwight Perry at Wofford and Tyler Murray at Lipscomb. Those are quick. All right, good Rex. Lipscomb, I'll just drive right down the street and ask him. I'll tell him Trey Meyer told me to show up. He'll probably they'll let me right in. I Ab- think. Absolutely, absolutely. Those guys are hilarious. They're hilarious. <laughs> All right, last segment, parting shot. Same two questions to every guest. I got the first one. Uh, Trey, what's the best advice you've ever been given? Uh, learn to listen, listen to learn. Uh, Dana Ford told me that when I was at Tennessee State and he was an assistant. Okay. Face-to-face with your 24-year-old self, what are you telling that person? Uh, prioritize your wife, go to more practices, take more notes, and watch more film. That's those are good, honestly. Quick, like especially the go to more practices thing. Like, yeah, there's always time yep. to watch film. There's always time to take notes. You don't always have time to get out and go, even for like meeting people. I trumpet that one a lot. Like, just make an effort. You know, drive an hour, drive an hour and a half because you're not always going to have that time. And I think that's really, really good advice. Uh, he is at Coach Trey Meyer on Twitter. T R E Y M E Y E R. And then, Trey, I do want to give you an opportunity uh, for people who don't know. If you listen to our podcast, chances are you probably do know about Rising Coaches. You follow them on Twitter. But if you do, if you could plug them real quick, if guys, you know, are interested in Rising Coaches and what you guys do, if you could kind of plug it to let them know where they can go to get more information, I think that'd be awesome for our listeners. 
Well, I mean, just like anything nowadays, you go to social media, go to Twitter at, at Rising Coaches, and you know you immediately get connected that way. I can help connect you if you're not able to do that. Uh, the biggest thing is going to be at the end of the year, um, at the Final Four, going to the convention. You know, that's the best place to meet people and network. Um, and then there's a conference later in the summer where you can go hear people speak. Uh, but really just attacking the social media thing is going to be the best way to get connected right away. And like I said, feel free to reach out to me. I'll be glad to help uh, with that process if need be, or if you need me for anything else. Awesome. Like I said, at Coach Trey Meyer on Twitter, give him a follow. Trey, we appreciate you hopping on with us. Know it's a little later on a Monday night, but uh, obviously you know kind of our relationship with Q, and we'll be following you guys very closely, and we're very, very excited for this year. And uh, best of luck, man. And like I said, thanks for hopping on with us and, and giving us an hour of your time. We really appreciate it. Oh, thanks a lot for having me. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, you guys asked great questions, and I really appreciate the support. Uh, obviously, Q's great, so we're excited what we're doing there. But if there's ever anything ever anything we can do for you or I can do for you, please, please let me know. I really enjoy it, and I appreciate it. Yeah, you can do this. You can sign up uh, right now. You can put your money where your mouth is in cornhole. And done. done. We're just going to bring the boards done. to the Rising Coaches Convention, throw them right done. down on the on the ground, and everybody's going to be playing. If we brought, if we had free drinks too, Smalls, we'd be the most Maybe give away a couple Final, Final Four tickets. I don't yeah, know. That's it. All right, Trey. Hey, just, just make sure those boards are regulation size. <laughs> and not slick, right? <laughs> got to get some use. Got to get That's sanded right. a little bit so they don't slide. We got a friend Absolutely. who's a cornhole. He's like a cornhole jerk. You know, he tells us all the rules. He's got a bunch of excuses when things aren't going well. Here's the thing. If you just throw it in the hole every single time, it doesn't matter if the boards are any good, right? Just four baggers all day. That's what I figure. All right, Trey. We'll talk soon, man. All right. Thank you.